Hello and welcome to the Japan Archives, a podcast where we'll be delving into the histories and mythologies from Japan's long history. I'm your host, Thomas. And I'm your co-host, Heather. We'll also be reading a poem for you every week and giving a little history about the poet who wrote it. Ikimashou! Welcome back to the Japan Archives. We're on episode 22 now. So for episode 22, me and Heather were talking about what we wanted to do. And we decided we're going to go back into the realm of ninja. Or at least people that are linked to the ninja in a certain way. But before we get started, I just want to see how you're doing this week, Heather. You're going home soon. Are you excited? Well, you'll be home by the time this episode comes out. By the time this episode airs, I will be visiting with my family. And it's really exciting. I haven't been able to talk about it till now because my parents don't know that I'm coming for a visit. My sister and brother know, but my parents don't. So it's a complete surprise for them. It is a surprise Christmas present. So just a really short visit, not a long visit. But um, yeah, so Merry Christmas, Mom and Dad. If you listen to this on Friday, I'll be there. The man I want to talk about today went by the name of Enno Ozuno. And I think he's quite an interesting man. So he was born in a time really before the ninja ever existed. So if anyone, even yourself, had approached him during the day and asked him if he considered himself to have been an actual ninja, I'm pretty sure this guy would have looked at you in confusion and wanted to know exactly what the hell you were talking about. He has strong connections to the ninja, but you could probably say he's not he's not himself a ninja if that makes sense Hmm. so this man ozuno he was born perhaps in around 634 ad and lived maybe until 701 but honestly we're not quite sure about the dates that he lived but we do know that he was a historical figure born with the personal name of kamonoe no kimi however as he grew legends quickly did spring up far and wide about the man he grew into because of that he actually gained several new names as he grew. Now one of these names was Jinben Daibosatsu, which means the Great Body of Vista of Heavenly Change. And he also gained the name Ennogyoja, which would mean like En the Pilgrim. And he obtained that name after years and years of mountain meditation. But there is one final name that we know he was known by, and that was Enno Ozuno, which we could translate as En of the Horn. Now the last name I think is the most interesting of them all as it relates to the fabled origins of his birth. It's said that this man was born with a horn protruding from his skull, hence the name of N of the Horn. But of course his fabled birth doesn't quite end there with just a horn. It's also said that he was born clasping a flower in one hand and that from the moment he was born he was actually quite adept at having a conversation with anyone who approached him. So the stories around this child are quite interesting in that he was a very skilled child right from the moment he stepped foot on earth. Now one of his main claims to fame was that he is the legendary founder of the religion known as Shugendo. Now is that a religion that you've heard of before Heather? I have not heard of that one. So this religion is a interesting mixture of like both Buddhism and the indigenous mountain worship that was already prevalent in Japan at the time. So yeah it became like a weird 
fusion religion. And this religion was actually quite successful after its initial inception on the slopes of Mount Katsuragi in Nara Prefecture. And because it was quite successful, it grew quite rapidly um, over a short period of time. It grew so quickly, in fact, that the emperor at the time even felt the need to banish Ozuno as he feared that the new religion was actually a threat to himself. Um, the notes for his actual banishment are detailed in the document known as the Shaku Nihongi and it gives the date of 699 AD for his exile so we know that this was during the reign of the emperor Monmu. Now his exile was said to have lasted for three years. He was exiled to the island of Oshima which is quite a distance away but it's around this time that even more strange and fantastical stories started to actually crop up around this man and one of them says that even though he was actually banished to this remote island he actually often could be found scaling Mount Fuji which again is interesting because he has been exiled off the main island of Japan. It's said that this man enjoyed scaling Mount Fuji because he liked to meditate upon the summit of the mountain, which obviously back in the 600s AD was an almost impossible feat, as most people who would have climbed the mountain back then would have no doubt died from exposure. However, this man loved it so much, the threat of exposure and death didn't deter him, and it's said that he actually scaled the mountain over 1,000 times in his lifetime. Impressive. It's even said that upon the slopes of Mount Fuji, he learned a magical mantra known as the Peacock King Mantra, and this mantra actually gave him the power of flight. So after learning this special mantra, it said that he then gained the ability to shoot across the sky on the backs of clouds. And in addition to this, because he now could fly seamlessly through the air, he then decided to split his time between both the world above and the world below. So he started to spend a lot of time not only on earth, but he would also start to make frequent visits to heaven. It's said that he learned to walk on water. Okay. He gained the ability to be able to survive and subsist on nothing but mist and air. And it's even said that he learned how to transform himself into a tiger. What would the tiger do? Maybe just run really fast over long distances? I'm not sure, because I feel that, yeah, he wouldn't need to turn into a tiger for speed as he could, you know. Well, fly in the cloud. Fly in the clouds. So why he needed to turn into a tiger, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it was like an intimidation thing, perhaps. But the final interesting thing around like his supernatural powers is that during his lifetime many attempts were actually made on his life. However, it's said that every time an axe was brought down upon his head to try and kill him, his head was so solid and so hard that the axe actually shattered into a thousand pieces. I think that that might be a, a little bit more useful trick than turning into a tiger. Perhaps he still had the power as a tiger. You don't know. Was he a tiger when the axe shattered? I'm not sure about it. It doesn't say. So perhaps, yeah, many attempts were made on his life in both his human and animal forms. And every single time the axe shattered on his head. However, if that is what happened, I feel that his enemies should have learned to not go for the head. Hmm. Maybe attack something different. Either way, it said that every time an attempt was made on his life, they took an axe to his head and the axe always shattered. I'm sure you're then wondering after all of this where his connection to the ninja actually is. And like I said, this man wouldn't have ever called himself a ninja. This was a time before the ninja actually existed. However, his legacy allowed the ninja to become what they evolved into later on due to the fact that he founded the religion of Shugendo. Now, the religion, the followers of it are known as the Yamabushi 
so like the mountain people. And it said that these were actually the first people in Japan to have taught the ninjas their tricks. And that is because they were a mountain people, so during their times there to learn to survive, they had to learn a lot of skills with herbs, a lot of skills with minerals. They also took it upon themselves to learn um, the different weather patterns and even how to camouflage themselves in the mountains. Perfect skills which the ninja then utilized when they were created. So a few centuries after Ozuno had actually died, they built a dojo called Handosan on the slopes of Mount Koda because that's where they believed historically Ozuno had actually lived at times during his life. And it was this dojo that the ninja eventually started to approach and actually asked the Yamabushi for their knowledge and their teaching so that the ninja could become what they eventually became. Ah, so almost like a, a founder in a way. So they attributed so many things to him, so he became, ah, like a founder. Hmm. He did. And because of this, it's said that the ninja actually claim him as one of their honored ancestors because he allowed them to become what they later became. Wow. So there you have it. But I'm sure you would like to know how his life ended eventually. You know, that's what was on my mind. After all of this supernatural and craziness of his life, it's said that he finally reached enlightenment around 701 AD and he didn't, well, it depends on the version of the stories you read. There are some which say that in 701, because he could now walk on water, he walked across the ocean to China and was never seen again. Others say that he went with his mother into the sky inside a Buddhist arms bowl. They climbed inside and floated up to heaven. But regardless of what actually happened, he's generally regarded now as something which is known in Japanese as the Senin, or a great immortal. And this belief is that he is a person who is still out there somewhere at forever watching over his descendants, over his religion and over the ninja. And yes, to this day, some people believe that He's still around, wandering, wandering the mountains of Japan, watching over his people. So yeah, that is your story of the legendary founder, I suppose, of the ninja and the, the skills. So what do you think? That was a really interesting story. I had no idea that you could um, do so many amazing things, like being born with a flower in your hand and flying on a cloud. So... Yeah, I mean, in the fact that he was the, I guess, the great-great-great-grandfather of Ninja. I suppose so, yeah. Great-great-great-great. And the abilities are really interesting. Also, the climbing Mount Fuji, like, during that time, had to have been extremely difficult. Like, extremely difficult. Even climbing it just a couple times, I think I would have been really impressed. <laughs> Well, I, I enjoyed the story. I don't really have any questions today. It was, you, you told it really well. Well, I, anyway, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yes, I do love I do love your stories. Thank you so much. That's okay. So now, turning over to your side of the episode. So last time, I was going to say last week, but it was actually yesterday when we did the recording. So yesterday for us, but last week for everyone else, you did a proverb. Are we doing proverb, poem, song, vegetable, mineral? What's today? Today is a haiku, and it's by Basho. So we're back to our good friend Basho. Yes, we are. And you said you mentioned vegetable. Well, I don't quite have a poem about a vegetable, 
but you are in a similar family um, for the poem I picked today. I wanted to pick a more lighthearted poem. I'm going to give you a little bit of background about this poem as well. So this is a poem or a haiku that Basho wrote around the time that he had moved from his previous home into Osaka. And he actually moved across the river to Fukugawa uh, to get out of the public and to get into a more quiet type of life. His students built him a hut and they planted a Japanese banana tree in his yard. And a Japanese banana tree, I don't know if you were going to ask this or not, but it is a type of banana, but it is ornamental and it does not have edible fruit. And it's a very short little, looks like a short little banana tree, um, grows up to about um, two meters uh, long and which is about six, over six feet long, two meters for those in the metric. So why did they pick an ornamental banana tree as opposed to a fruit tree which he could have, you know, eaten fruit from. I assume it was very lovely and peaceful to look at. Okay. So this is the background for this poem. And are you ready? You said you had your pencil, so yes, I think so. <laughs> I have my pencil and my paper ready for your poem. Okay. Basho oete. Mazunikumu ogino. Futabakana. The only thing I think I heard was the entirety of the first, like, I think I understood the first line, which was you... So the haiku uses his own name, so you have Basho. And then I think the rest of the line was Basho Ue Te. Hmm. So as in Basho is lifting his hand. Mm. Well, you do have Basho, but I think this Basho means place uh, and not his name. It could have been a play on his name as well. Um, but Like when we had Moria Senan using his own name for the Jisei. Possibly. In this poem that I have, I don't have any kanji. I have hiragana. So, and also it says apparently these fibers make a type of cloth. So, which are known as kijouka bashofu, hmm. which I think part the actually the word basho may be ah you know what, I think the basho is referring to the banana tree. Ah, so the poem refers to the banana tree itself and not actually basho the poet. Yes. Okay, okay. Well, I think then it's safe to say that I did not understand anything of today's haiku. There are a lot of words I have yet to learn. So what? is the English. By the new banana plant, the first sign of something I despise, a miscanthus bud. Do we know why he didn't like this type of bud, miscanthus bud? Miscanthus is a type of ornamental grass, and I bet you have seen this. Usually has like the fluffy white tops. Probably should be some still around right now, but it's usually like late summer, early autumn. I know the one. Apparently he was not a fan of the miscanthus. I, I don't know why it does not say why he does not like it, but it could have possibly blocked the view of his banana plant. Regardless, it was quite, it made me smile because, you know, beautiful, it's a beautiful poem, but it's like, I really hate this plant. It's blocking my tree. I don't like it. Was the plant in his own garden? Because if it was, couldn't he have just purely he probably could, but, you know, maybe he was busy writing poems or preparing for his next journey. He was too angry about the plant. Instead of thinking, I'm going to cut this down, he was like, I'm going to write a sternly worded haiku about this plant instead. Perhaps. Perhaps. Okay. It's teaching me a few more things about Basho and his personality, I think. But it's, it's nice to know that 
someone who is skillful and talented that even sometimes something small could just irritate you just like the rest of us you know you may be having not that great of a day and then you just something small happens and you're like i just day this day is horrible so it's, it's nice to see his humanity it's very relatable yes it's nice to see his humanity <laughs> well thank you for the i guess the witty haiku for today it was both witty but also, yeah, a lot of anger mm. from Basho today. And botany. And botany, yes. I also like as well that even if it is a different kanji, it does include his own name. So like you said, there is the suggestion of a little hint to himself or a little pun, perhaps. A little nod towards his own name. So I like that. But yeah, thank you. I thought that one was interesting. You're very welcome. It really shows you that they will happily write about anything and everything when it comes to poetry. Mm, absolutely. So before we sign off then, as usual, do you have any more questions for me about the tale of our good friend the hermit today? The pilgrim, sorry. I Nope, no questions for today. Oh, if there's no more questions, there's nothing more for me either today. I thought it was a nice poem as usual. It's nice to have a call back to po poets we've, we've talked about before. So yeah, thank you again to everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in this week we finally hit 3,000 listens this week which we find very exciting if we're honest we started this project as something more of a personal nature to inspire us both to continue with our research and working on our website but yeah every week we seem to be getting a few new listeners so you're definitely encouraging us to continue with not only this but with our websites and we hope we can keep bringing this to you for a long time to come. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this week. Until next time, matane. Matane, arigatou gozaimasu. If you've enjoyed the Japan archives, please consider checking out historyofjapan.co.uk, a database we are making on Japanese history. You can also find the show notes for all our episodes here. If you're on Instagram, you can follow my account over at nexus underscore travels. That's N-E-X-U-S underscore travels. We also have a Facebook and Twitter page, which you can find at Japan Archives. If you're interested in little slices of life in Japan, be sure to check out my website over at heatheroveryonder.com. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, have anything you'd love to hear about, head on over to historyofjapan.co.uk and send us a message. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a rating and review over on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, guys. Until next time, bye. Matane!